Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Bergen Park. We're glad to see you guys, and for those of you that are gathering online, we hope you're doing well. We miss you, and I want to encourage all of you, uh, in this time, it's easy to get isolated, and Hopefully, as our schools are starting to open up, we're going to pray that's successful. But hopefully, people begin to start re-engaging. And part of the role that we need to play is take responsibility for the spiritual growth of others. You know, one of the challenges, I think, in the church today is we look to centralize leadership to take responsibility for our spiritual growth. It's not how the church was designed. To have one person, two people, kind of being the point person to to looking over an entire family of four to 500 people, but rather each one of us needs to take responsibility not only for our own spiritual growth, but the growth of the people you may not see today or haven't seen in the last couple months. You with me on that? Because if it's just up to us, it fails. But if we as the body of Christ care for one another, engage one another, and as Scripture says, we need fathers, we need mothers, we need grandmothers, we need grandfathers, we need brothers and sisters in Christ to engage in our faith and take responsibility for others. Because see, in this pandemic, nobody's shutting down our spiritual growth. You're the only one that can do that. Nobody's shutting it down. What's happening is there's an opportunity to change how we're growing, to change how we're engaging. And so let's use this time, hopefully as people start to re-engage, to start to dream dreams and see visions. I think sometimes we get frustrated because we're trying to sit in the normal And we have expectations of what should be happening, and it's not. And when you're in that place, you get frustrated, right? Because you have an expectation. It's not happening. It's not working. Why are things not? And then we start complaining. It's the governor's fault. It's the president's fault. It's the leader. It's the pastor's fault. When you're in that place, that's not a place of spiritual growth. That's a place of putting the responsibility of your growth on someone else instead of saying, Father, how can we partner together. Let's push back against divisiveness, disunity, but rather let's reach out to one another. And so in the coming months, one of the things that we're going to be working on is reaching out to people to find new ways that we can connect. We're going to be adding more services and services in which maybe small groups are gathering together or groups are coming together. We can only have right now 50 in this room. And so sometimes it's helpful to come into a room and you see some people you know Now, hopefully you're going to get to know some of the people in here, but when you're distance, it's kind of difficult, right, to start at that six foot with the mask on. It's not exactly a real warm experience. And so as the church, we need to start learning to engage differently and really be the body of Christ in a way that brings community and support. So I'm throwing that ball out to you. I know you guys keep throwing it back, and I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm pitching it back. Let's reach out to each other. Let's be a part of that. And if you have ideas for us, Please come and reach out to us. We may not actually do them, but we need to start having those conversations so that we can engage with this community, with those of you that are online or listening throughout the week on podcasts. We want to be the body of Christ to encourage, to support, to lift up, not simply to complain, to tear down and lead down the path that really looks a lot like the world and looks nothing like the kingdom of God. We need more kingdom of God, right? and a little less just broken world. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to take some high view 
looks. We're not going to walk through the whole book of First Peter. Rather, uh, we're going to jump into the book of Matthew probably in September. I don't know if you know about this. There's an, I think it's an election is coming up sometime. I don't know. I heard about it. I think it's in November. But we're going to get into the Sermon on the Mount because really the Sermon on the Mount is political. It's not partisan. It's a big difference. Jesus, his message of the kingdom was very political. Jesus is Lord, and yet it's not partisan. So we're going to get into that in September, in October, November. I think it's going to be helpful for us to move into this season and make decisions, and yet not to move in with contempt or anger, but rather with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We need that. And so we're going to take a high view of some themes in the book of First Peter. And so I want to read from First Peter chapter 1 and just look at verses 1 to 12, but we're going to really look at the whole chapter. And we're going to pick up on this theme that the New Testament calls the new birth. Jesus said, very truly, I say to you, you must be born again. Peter's going to capture that just a little bit differently. So let's jump in. Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and notice for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Then Peter breaks out in this song in verse 3 of praise, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefined, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now in this, meaning verses 3 through 5, in this salvation, you rejoice. Though now for just a little while... If necessary, you may be grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is refined by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. For though you have not seen him, meaning Jesus, you love him. And though we do not see him now, we believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, concerning this salvation, what he just described for us, the prophets, the Old Testament, who prophesied about the grace, notice he's saying they're prophesying about grace that was to come, was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person, I mean, who is this Old Testament describing? Or what is the time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when the Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories? See, it was revealed to those prophets that they were not serving themselves, but us. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you, the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now notice, things into which... Angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, thanks be to God. Let me pray for us.
Father, just in this short window that we have, whether it's online or in this room, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the truth? Would you take the brokenness of my mind, my thoughts, and Lord, would you take us together as the body of Christ? You want to manifest the spirit of Christ as the body of Christ gathers. You're with us two or more in your name. And Father, you want to teach, instruct, direct. Father, even in this room, maybe to heal emotionally, to heal our minds, to heal our bodies, to cause us to see in a new light, to, to strip away the brokenness of this world and the messages that we're hearing, these messages of contempt and brokenness and slander, words that tear down and destroy. Jesus, you came to give life. May your body this morning be filled in Jesus' name with life. May your word go out with life. May you instruct us on what it looks like to be a kingdom of God people who lead through the Spirit and love, love others, not simply just as we want to be loved, but to love others as you have loved us. Father, teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at this idea, the new birth. I want to share three things with you because pastors always have three. They can't have four. They can't have two. They got to have three. So I got three. The new birth refers to a new life. It refers to a new identity. So when you give your faith, put your faith in Jesus, trust in the gospel, we're going to talk about what this means. And it means a new life. It means a new identity. But here's the third thing, and I think this gets disconnected. You know, we love to dissect things. I don't know if that's kind of the enlightenment view or just the intellectual view. We like to take things apart. But in the New Testament, um, it doesn't separate new life, meaning Christ coming into you, from new lifestyle. We do. The church does. You know, trust in Jesus Christ. You get your ticket into heaven, but don't worry about actually obeying what God has called us to do. But you notice, actually, back in verse 2, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctifying work of the Spirit... Why? Why has God called us for, you notice that word, it's not a happy word, obedience. And yet what's obedience? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We want the results of Jesus. We don't want the life of Jesus. And that's a little broken. We want to experience the hope of Jesus, but we don't want to follow the path of Jesus. The new birth is the beginning of that path. So the new birth is a new life. Second, it's a new identity. But third, it should lead us to a new lifestyle. And if it hasn't led us to a new way of life, it may not be the new birth. Or you may be disconnected from the power of the Holy Spirit that leads to that new birth. You with me? So new life, new identity, new birth. Now, Jesus, you guys know this, John 3, 3. You probably heard this before. Truly, truly, which means amen. That's the Old Testament, New Testament way of saying amen. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Then Peter, in verse 3, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. And then when you jump to 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 4, Peter describes the new birth in these terms. He says, He has granted to us his precious and great promises, meaning through the gospel, he's granted these things to us so that through them you may become partakers and here's the words of the divine nature. The idea is through faith in Christ in the gospel, God's DNA, his lifeblood makes us alive to God. So scripture says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now through faith, God has made you alive. You were once in the dominion of darkness. That sounds bad. He's brought you into the kingdom 
of light, the kingdom of the son that he loves. And so through faith in Jesus, the New Testament uses this language of new birth. Now, why new birth? Because it makes sense. You know what physical birth is. Physical birth allows you now to interact with the physical world. Apart from physical birth, there's no physical world. There's no relationships, no experience of creation. But because of sin, physical birth is not enough to know God. We are separated from God. And so what has to happen, just as we interact with each other, with human beings and creation through physical birth, spiritual birth makes us alive to God. It's not just simply that we have woken up, but God, his very nature and presence has come in us. His Holy Spirit dwells in us. We have been sealed, we have been adopted, we have been made new. Now, here's the beautiful picture. Ready for this? This should kind of blow your socks off, or if you're not wearing socks, that's okay. But, but here's how the New Testament, I know, sorry. Here's how the New Testament describes it. When Christ returns, it's called the day of the Lord. When he comes back, there's the resurrection from the dead. We've all heard that. When he comes back, it says all things will be made new. So Revelation says uh, he'll wipe away every tear from their eye. Have you heard that? There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Behold, I've made all things new. So when God's presence comes, everything gets healed. Injustice gets addressed. Broken bodies are made whole. Broken relationships. All of that creation, the cosmos, everything. Even our dogs, our animals, they're crying out for Christ to come back because it's made whole. So on that day, this incredible power and God's presence is going to come. It's going to heal all things. So imagine the power, imagine the presence, imagine the glory of God that in an instant, the twinkling of an eye, I think it says, it's going to happen. Well, that power that's coming in the future has already come in you today when you accept Christ and and respond to the gospel. Did you notice what he says in verse 3? It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That just as Jesus has been risen from the dead, spiritually, you have now come alive to God. In John chapter 3, it describes the same thing. That there is this resurrection, that you are now alive to God because of faith in Christ. There is an incredible, an incredible power within us. The challenge in the Christian faith is we're not tapping into it. We're more fluent in the storylines of the world the frustrations of the world, my own personal frustrations, the frustrations that I'm experiencing around me, than in the storyline and the good news of the gospel. One of the challenges that I'm trying to make through this series is that we become fluent in the kingdom of God and the words of God, fluent in the story of the gospel. We have to start speaking good news to each other because the world constantly wants to respond, us to respond out of bad news. And what Peter's doing twice, he does it in verse 3. Then when you get down later in the chapter, he says, hey, you've not been born of perishable things. Like what? Silver or gold? Well, I spent a lot of time, I don't know about you, on silver and gold. I mean, that, that kind of is a storyline, isn't it, for us in our economy and in our world? Silver and I think there's an old song, isn't it? Burl Ives, what's his name? Anyways, that just hit me. One of those old Christmas songs. Sorry. Uh, That's a storyline, isn't it? And for some people, that's a gospel. Because when you get it, it's good news. But we weren't born again by those things that fade, but rather through the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen, as Scripture says, before the creation of the world, but he was revealed when? In these last times, for our sake. That's the power that dwells in us. So here's two things. First of all, it reveals just how broken we are. 
We didn't need a teacher, folks. I know a lot of people want to reduce Jesus to a good teacher. Teaching isn't what we needed. Good teaching can only get you so far. We needed a new heart. And what we need to learn to do is to live out of the new heart that is in us. Ezekiel says, I'm going to take out that heart of stone, you know, and give you a heart of flesh. That's the same thing that Peter's describing. It's the new birth. Theologians like to use the word, we have been regenerated. Come alive to God. But second, second, stop doubting that your life will change. I look at my life and sometimes I'll think, you know, it'll never change. Relationships won't get better. You know, my thoughts, maybe the addictions some of us might be struggling with. I think in this season of isolation, it's not good for those that tend to struggle with addictions. And we assume we, we won't change. But here's the problem. You're in the wrong storyline and you're using the wrong resources and you're relying on the wrong power. Because often to overcome, what do we do? I got to try harder. And I'm using a negative storyline, right? The ways of the world. Hey, you're just a loser. You just got to buck up. You got to get going. Come on, you use shame. You use guilt. The New Testament doesn't start there. Do you notice how Peter started? They start off, hey, you guys are a bunch of losers. Get it together. Buck up. What the heck's your problem? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his great mercy. Now, who's he speaking to us? Those that fail. Those that fall. Those that get depressed. Those that find ourselves chasing silver and gold. He's speaking to us. And what is he using? He's using good news. He's using grace. That's what changes people. When we look out in the world, that's not the message we're hearing. We're hearing a message that divides a message that creates contempt and anger. And as the people of God, we've got to bring a new message, a better message into a world that's hurting and broken. We are the only ones that can bring that because we have new life. Now, second, we have a new identity. And again, you see this throughout what, what Peter's describing. He describes this idea that God is now our father. He says it again in verse three. He says it in verses one and two that God is our father. And he's our father because we are born of God. We're not simply born of just our own intellect. We're born of the Spirit, which means when you approach the Father, you always approach the Father as a daughter or as a son. You don't simply approach the Father on the basis, here's how we do it, of our failures. How many of you, when you find your life is going the wrong direction, you think, you know, I can't go to church. I certainly can't pray right now. The best time to pray is when you fail, not when you succeed. You know why? Because often when you succeed, you're doing it on your own strength. But when you fail, you realize just how broken you are. And in that moment, Scripture's going to say there's an opportunity to rejoice. Why? Because, see, when you fail, you see the depths of your brokenness, there's a clarity in God's love. Because you don't want to come to him. And here's why, because there is a message, a storyline, we could call it a false gospel in our world, that if you do, you'll get. And how many of you grew up and you didn't get because you didn't do? You weren't pretty enough. You weren't fast enough. My brother was better at different things than me. He was a much better in school. He was much better behaved. You know, and sometimes it's easier, right? When there's this one child and this other child's having issues, you know, and that other child has issues you, to feel unloved, to feel unwanted. And yet when we approach our father, see, that's the storyline of the world, but that's not the storyline of our heavenly father. He wants to change our identity, which means we have to change how we approach him. 
And in this world, we're constantly told we're not good enough unless we have, unless we do. The gospel says, no, you approach me boldly. When? On your worst day. Why? Because it's the throne of grace, which means your identity is in what Christ has done. And here's how the scripture describes it. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Simply, practically, what that means is he has obeyed all the commandments, all the laws of God, and the Father welcomes you as if you have done everything that Jesus Christ has done. And see, if you don't see yourself on the one hand in your brokenness, and I just failed, and I've got a really angry heart and a bitter heart, and yet I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ, when those two mingle and come together, that's when transformation starts to happen, because now there's a conflict within you, right? You're conflicted. And when you see his grace, it's his grace, his love, his holiness that compels us towards obedience. Why? Because he has done so much for us, we desire to please him. The new birth leads to a new life. There is now a new vitality living in you. You're not living on your own energy. Rather, you're dwelling and living in the spirit. Second, it results in a new identity. But here's what's what's important. It should lead to a new kind of life. And this is what we see Peter saying throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2. You'll see this. Let's kind of walk back through it. I think if you go down to verse 13, after he's described the new birth and the prophets looking in the Old Testament. And notice in verse 10, he says about the grace that was to come to you. Often we think of the Old Testament as graceless. No, no, no. That's not the right message. Because the prophets were talking about Jesus. They just didn't know, know his name. They were giving us pictures of him, the grace that was to come. And therefore, if you have the new birth, what does he say in verse 13? Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. Set your hope. And do you notice that language? Fully on the grace to be given you. Often in my Christian life, I'm setting my hope on doing better. Peter's like, Jason, you got the wrong storyline, brother. The storyline isn't you get your life together and then God welcomes you. The storyline is Jesus came and he rescued you. And that helps us to get our life together. And even in my brokenness, I need to set my hope fully on what? Grace. When's grace going to come? At the full revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace has come when Jesus came to the world. Grace fully is going to come when he comes back because we need grace today, tomorrow, and in the future and in God's presence. It's all grace. And that's why we prepare our minds. So watch this. Here's another statement. As obedient children, notice he's already calling us obedient before we are, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but... As he who called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. Verse 16, since it is written, you shall be be holy, for I am holy. And then if you jump down, watch this, verse 22. And this is a beautiful picture. Notice how he describes this. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Now, what's the truth in this case? The truth is verses 3 and following. That's called the gospel. And what's the gospel? Simply good news. Praise be to the God and Father. It's a great passage to memorize. You get up in the morning and you start telling yourself, that God, in your great mercy, you've given me new birth. I know I don't deserve it. I know it wasn't because I got it together. God, you've given me a living hope, not a dead hope, not a, a buried hope, but rather one that is alive through the resurrection, the power of his resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, right now I've got an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. When you believe in that, there's a purifying act that God sees you as whole. 
now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, by obeying the gospel, so that, he goes on to say, for a, sorry, I'm in the, my mind's on two different passages in terms of, uh, this is the ESV, and I memorize the NIV, and so sometimes when you get into two different, have you ever had that problem? And you look back down, you're like, it says something different. It says it different, but it's the same thing. By obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, meaning not to get anything out of it. Now, why? Why do we do this? You notice the next verse? Since you have been born again. What is the evidence of a new birth? It's a new life. It's a new identity. But church, we should be learning, or, or yearning for a new lifestyle. We should be pursuing a life that reflects the life of the one that purchased us. And often when we lead out into the world, what's happening is we're using the same message against the world the world uses against us. It doesn't work. I mean, how many years of history do we have to go through to realize that yelling louder doesn't work, slander doesn't work, calling people names doesn't work? Those are not arguments. What do we need? We need the message of Christ. And that's what God's given us. It's called the new birth, but you have to learn to walk in it. Just as in your life, you know, all your dysfunctions, it, it comes from learning. You've learned to walk in your brokenness. You've learned to memorize the messages that you've heard. In the same way, we have to be discipled, which is reparented. We have to relearn. How is that going to work? Because see, on the one hand, if you jump to chapter 2, in the new birth... It doesn't stop there. It doesn't, just because you've been born again, you've got to grow into your salvation now that you've tasted the Lord is good. So watch this. So put away, chapter 2, verse 1, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. See, when I'm meditating on Scripture, I have to slow down on those verses. You know why? Because i got a lot of that in me. And here's the problem. When I start going through those verses, you know what comes to mind? All the people in my life who are slandering. You know what God's saying? I'm not talking about them. All the people in my life who have envy and I'm like, start thinking about them. You know, I'm praying. And God's like, Jason, I'm with you. I'm not with them right now. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about what's in your heart, what's going on. Later on, he's going to say, if you want to, you know, if you want a life, if you want to live the good life, Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from deceitful speech. That's not for someone else. That's for you. How much of that is going on in your life? How much malice? How much contempt? How much hypocrisy? And then take that hypocrisy to the grace of God. See his love towards you and allow that to begin to purify you. Why? Because here, here he goes. He, he takes that and he says, because here's who we are. Like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk, so by it you may grow up in your salvation. If indeed, verse 3, that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And then verse 4, as you come to him. So notice the language. You have been given new birth. It's a new life. It's a new identity. But it leads to a new lifestyle. You are now a child. You need to hunger for the things that child, children hunger for. You need to hunger for his word. You need to be in community with other Christians that are going to point you towards Christ. And then you need to learn to come to him. Because Peter's talking to Christian. He's saying, hey, you're coming to him. And he's not saying you just came once. As you come to him, as you daily come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God. 
God is at work in you. He who began the good work, he's going to complete it. The new life leads to a new lifestyle. And what does that lifestyle do? I want you to watch this. Jump back in verse 3. He says, you've been born again, and notice, into a living hope. When you change somebody's hope, you change their life. That's why we love those stories, right? Somebody rescues someone in a dark place. You know, a child, an orphan, is rescued from a home of abuse, placed into a healthy home. What's the change? It's not so much location, it's hope. Somebody comes along and gives someone a job, and now there's some money and resources, and the debt is paid. If you've ever carried a heavy debt, could you imagine someone walking in saying, it's paid. No more mortgage. No more car pay. No more, I've got this, you know, college coming for my kids. All that. Jason's done. A new hope results in a changed life. You change someone's hope, you change their life. Because, see, in your hope are wrapped your desires in your expectations. And so what happens in life, jump down and watch this in verse 6, in this, now what's this? That's our salvation. So in what God has done for us, meaning every day as you come to him, you need to start rejoicing in what God's done for you. I'm a child of God through faith in God. I have a living hope kept in heaven for me. And yet notice, you're gonna go through trials for a little while. If necessary, you've been grieved through various trials. Why do trials come? Why does God allow them? To help us examine our hope. We fix our hope on false messiahs, whether they're political messiahs or silver and gold. We set our hope on our own temporal hopes. And when trials come, what you find is those things start to fail. Because if we set our hope in anything other than God, it's perishable. Even good things like relationships, they're sadly, they're perishable. And the older you get, right, the more loss you've had. You know, when you're young, you kind of think, oh, this is great, you know. Here we go, I got my master's degree, and now I got a wife and kids. And you're just trucking because you think, you know, that moment of great revelation is coming upon you and life's going to get easy. Older you get, you start realizing, wow, these things are fun and great, but then they start to fade. And then our culture throws a new one in front of you and you start really getting tired, don't you? Because you're like, gosh, another one? Okay, I've seen this. Is got to go read Ecclesiastes on that. There's nothing new under the sun, right? It just keeps throwing something, recycling these things. And when trials come into your life, it's an opportunity to say, okay, I'm looking at my life. You know what I see? Wow, I see malice. I see contempt. I see envy. I'm angry. I am con- I, 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 there's a frustration in me. You know, that's called the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the flesh comes from the root of the flesh, which, which is your heart set on a false hope. And again, it may be a good hope. It's not always that your heart's set on something bad. It's just your heart's set on something good, but it's not good enough. It's not God. And when your heart's not set on God, the fruit of the Spirit can't come. And so in times of trial, in times of difficulty, we have to evaluate our hope. And if we don't evaluate our hope, and then here's what happens when you know your hope isn't in Christ, here's the simple truth. This is all you have to do. This is growth in the Christian life. It's called repentance and faith. Christianity doesn't begin with trying harder. It begins with worship. It begins with trusting more. Repentance is, Father, forgive me right now. You're not my hope. You need to be honest with him because he already knows. Right? I mean, come on. We're not fooling anybody here. 
He says, Jason, I see into your heart. I'm glad you're finally on the same page. It's taken a month. Because, see, I walk around, and I'm praying, and I'm thinking of all the bad stuff. And I'm like, I'm frustrated with this guy, and I'm frustrated with this. And God's like, Jason, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to get your attention. And then when he gets your attention, you go, wait a minute. Lord, you're my hope. You're so patient with me. You chase after me. You're my hope. You're my salvation. In times of trial, he's saying, we have an opportunity to fix our hope, not on ourselves, but rather our hope on Jesus Christ through the resurrection. And then he tells us these things, they're secure, they're kept in heaven for us. They're not based on our performance. They're based on Christ's performance. And they do not perish. They do not spoil. They do not fade. So jump down finally, jump back to chapter 1, verse 10. Why is our hope secure? Why is it not based on our performance right here? Concerning this salvation. Now, salvation refers to everything he just talked about. Verses 3 all the way down to verse 5. The prophets, the Old Testaments, they prophesied about the grace. His name was Jesus. That was to be yours. They searched, they inquired, they wondered, what is this talking about? What kind of person, what kind of time? The Spirit of Christ, and notice it's the Spirit of Christ in the Old Testament that's inspiring them, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, and it was revealed to them. They weren't serving themselves. They were serving those two, three, four thousand years later who would hear these words. Do you know why your hope is secure? Because Christ is secure. It's not based on our performance. It's based on the fact that the one who was righteous in every way took on my unrighteousness so that through him I might be the righteousness of God. See, when we get up in the morning, in the afternoon, you have to learn to preach the gospel to yourself because the world's going to preach a gospel to you every single day. It's a gospel of brokenness or a gospel of slander. As we get into this election season, it's coming, right? I mean, you know the language ain't going to be pretty and sweet. It's going to be left and right and danger and fear. And if this person gets in, all of it's going to fall apart. And yet that's not our hope. Because listen, if it falls apart, Christ is secure. If it doesn't fall apart, Christ is enough. Don't believe the hype. It's important to engage. It's, it's great to be in a democratic republic. We're in a great place, and yet that's not our hope. And our hope isn't in simply relationships or in money. Because see, all of those things are going to fail us if they become our central hope. But if Christ is our hope, he renews us. He strengthens us. He empowers us so we can go out into a world and not give slander for slander, which leads to more slander, envy for envy, which leads to more envy, brokenness for brokenness, but rather to respond to evil with good because that's what God's given us. And church, if there's anything we need to be, we need to be that for each other first. And then listen, we gotta be that for this world. That hope's not coming from any other corner, any other radio station. If it's not in us and we're not walking in it, we can't lead into it. We can't bring it out into the world. Walk in the gospel daily. Allow his hope to be your hope. And then challenge yourself in grace to allow that hope to transform you, that it leads to a new life.
and a new lifestyle. Let me pray for us. I just confess, um, Lord, I know over the last couple months, there's a lot of things that want to want to take my attention away from you. And it's so easy. It seems so much easier just to give my mind over to the things of the world. And I know, Father, what that means is I'm disciplined in the things of the world. That's all that is. I've been obedient to it. It's not as if you're calling me to a, an, an obedience and the world is not. No, the world calls me to an obedience. It's discipling me. It's transforming me. And the fact that it's easy is just because I've walked in it in such a long time. And you tell us I've spent enough time. You've spent enough time, Jason, doing doing all the stuff in the past. You've tried that route. You've gone down that road. It doesn't, it doesn't work. That's why God opposes the proud. But here, Jason, grace to the humble. Church, grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Cast your anxieties and cares on Him because He cares for you. Father, I pray today for anyone that's listening online or in this room that if they haven't trusted you, and said, Father, accept me through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I know I am sinful. I know I am broken. I know I am in need of the grace, the love, the, the new identity that comes from God. Father, I pray they would cry out to you and you would pour into them through the Holy Spirit this, this power of new birth. And Father, for those of us who have strayed, walked away from, from tasting and seeing that the Lord is good to simply arguing that he is, and even arguing to ourselves, would you take us back to that place that we would hunger and thirst for you? Holy Spirit, stir in us a desire for something greater. Open our eyes to see who Christ is. And Lord, let us not be content in the things of the world. Keep us in that place where we only find contentment, Father, alone in you. Guide us. And Father, may, may right now, through the power of the Spirit, if there's someone we need to reach out to, if there's a name that needs to be placed in our mind that we need to call, would you, Father... In Jesus' name, just reveal that person to us. Help us to be the body to take responsibility for the spiritual needs of others. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. I just wanted to share a song I wrote. You guys can just kind of sit there and let the spirit just move. Um, this song gives me hope because when I wrote it, I wrote this as an instrumental. And I was in a, in a bad, dark place. Then he gave me some lyrics. I think the Holy Spirit inspired these lyrics. And it just is kind of my journey of faith, I would say, over the past decade. So this is a song I've been playing. And I'm glad he gave me a new song and a new lyric to put to it. So I hope you enjoy it.
Bless you.